Hey, it's Garbage Brain University. I'm Drew Toothpaste. I'm Natalie D. Today, we're talking... Air. The stuff that's all around you, hopefully. All over, everywhere you look. There it is, but you can't see it, probably. That's one of the top qualities of air, really, if you ask me. If that sucker was opaque, things would be different. Or even if it's like just a little bit translucent. Fog? Is fog a form of air? Yeah, I think so. Well, fog has more wet in it. Wet of air. <laughs> I like fog. I will, I'm, I'm a fog head. Are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm into it. I like fog a lot. I used to really like it as a kid because it, it would always bug me out how, like, if you were in it, you could see in front of you, but you couldn't really see that far away. Right. And it was always kind of intriguing to me how you could be at any point in it and you could see just around you, but not far away. Right. I think fog is when the computation gets bogged down and they have to turn the draw distance down. <laughs> yeah, right. I love it. It's just like such a mood. Like you see some fog, you're like, there it is. Moody. Spooky. It just, you know why it feels good is because normal air, you know, if there's not some object out there, like basically anybody could see you at any time. Right. A drone could see you. Think about that shit. You could have a drone anywhere. You wouldn't know. It could see you. Right. With the fog? Nope. You got to get real close. With the fog, though, you have to make sure you're on the grass so no one runs you over. That's the main danger of the fog. Oh, walk in the grass and not... Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Because otherwise someone's going to mow you down. But I like it. It's like, I think it's nice to have it be wet in the air. The wetness in the air is cool. <laughs> you're looking at me weird. Sorry. <laughs> cool in the air and it's wet it's very a vibe and i i also like it because i like the mist that stephen king book or short story or medium story i forget what it was but and then the movie was really good too and so i always imagine there's like giant bugs and stuff in it oh yeah that was a top tier if you're a horror head the mist that's a good mm-hmm. that's a good movie to see mm-hmm. so natalie yeah what is air air hmm let me think the atmosphere of earth or air is the layer of gases retained by the earth's gravity that surrounds the planet and forms its planetary atmosphere and so all the people and all the guys on earth all love to breathe it it also creates pressure which is what allows liquid to exist on the surface of the earth and it absorbs ultraviolet radiation it keeps the surface warm instead of us being buffered by the freezing winds of the outer space Mm -hmm. right yeah and it also reduces extreme temperature fluctuations in between daytime and nighttime. It's interesting because you don't usually think of gas as being held to the planet by gravity. I think from our viewpoint, you know, stuck to the floor or the ground outside or the floor of your car, wherever you are. Right. You typically think of air is floating and you're the one that's stuck here, but right. we're all stuck here, aren't we? We're all we? stuck here forever. Now that's true. It's a prison planet. Hmm. It is also a prison planet for the air. Right. Really. Right. What if air is alive? Well, much to think about. I mean, we determine that rocks are alive. If rocks are alive, is water alive? And if water is alive, why wouldn't air be alive? I think it depends on how you determine alive, but it sure does move around. <laughs> right, right. It's the primordial soup of the entire universe, and we are chunks just floating in the vast 
aliveness of the entire thing. I think my my favorite idea about air is like the classical physics model. And you know, air is, it's not just spheres hitting each other. You know, you got oxygen. So there's those two little blobs usually visualized as two little, right. like two little ping pong balls, but they're kind of intersecting each other, right. kind of like a 3D Venn diagram and little nitrogens and little carbon dioxides and some little water vapors and shit. Right. Just all bouncing off each other super fast, banging into each other and going off in another direction until it bangs into another one. Right. And all that shit banging against each other and pushing outwards is what creates the pressure, I guess, as far as physics is concerned. Sure. So how much of air doesn't have anything in it? Or is it a solid mass of, of all the molecules? Like, you know how, like, a brick would have all kinds of molecules and you can't get anything in between the molecules, right? So that is... <laughs> Is air like a fluid like water is? Or is it like, does it have more void space in it? <laughs> I didn't take chemistry class. I'm really sorry. You're making the face like you're like, I can't believe this. <laughs> no, I'm just trying, because I have a visual model of it. Just because I've been exposed to this stuff over and over and over again. And so is there void space? Absolutely. There's also void space in solid objects. The void space in a gas is a lot bigger. Right. So like if I had a cup of air, how yeah, much you, of it is nothing? <laughs> like a third of it? I mean, it I you could <laughs> So you could you could sit here. so you could sit down and do the calculations, uh -huh. but the end result is that the molecules are pretty small and they're pretty far apart. So if you have a cup of air, does the air have weight? If you took a cup of air into outer space, would it weigh more? Would it have more mass than a cup with vacuum in it? Yes. The weight of air that you breathe in and out every day is measured in pounds. Right. I'm asking how much air do you need to not be a vacuum? Uh, any, any. A vacuum means, I think in terms of space, a vacuum in space is something like one molecule per cubic meter. Okay. And that is just... So I wanna know how many molecules is in a cubic meter down here or we are. How many molecules are in a cubic meter of air? You could you could calculate that. Right. More than one. Could you Google it? <laughs> so Let's a cubic out. meter of air would have mass. How many molecules in a meter of air? Cubic meter. Ten trillion trillion molecules. And you should say how much does a cubic meter of air weigh? Because I don't know off the top of my head. How much does a cubic meter of air weigh 1.2929 kilograms so that's more than you thought huh because it's just air you don't think of air as having mass right it's about two and a half pounds yeah yeah so that's uh if you get the little weight the little free weight like at your gym the little tiny donut that's a, that's how much a cubic meter of air weighs. It feels heavier in your hand than you would imagine any quantity of air to be. How much would a cubic meter of person weigh? A cubic meter of person? Mm -hmm. So people are mostly water in terms of mass uh -huh. and density. Uh -huh. There's water and fat. Water is around one gram per cubic centimeter of weight. Okay. Fat is about 0.8 grams per cubic centimeter. So if water is a gram per cubic centimeter, a meter is 100 centimeters. So a cubic meter would be 100 times 100 times 100 cubic centimeters, which would be a million cubic centimeters. Right. Which would be a million grams which would be a thousand kilograms. 
In other words, a cubic meter of water would be a ton. Okay. A cubic meter of person would be a little less than a ton. <laughs> okay, that's good. Assuming you packed it completely. So I was just wondering because 1.29 kilograms sounded like it was pretty heavy for that size of nothing. Yeah, but it's not It's not nothing. That's well, the, yeah, you know what I mean. That's the whole thing. You don't think of air as having weight. You open your door and you walk outside your house and you don't feel as if you are being pushed down. You don't feel like you're being compressed. But the air pressure outside is is 14 pounds per, per square foot. Right. And that is because of the weight of all of the air above you. Right. It's just the same thing as if you go in the swimming pool and you're near the surface, you don't feel the water pressure. If you go all the way down to the bottom, you're gonna start to feel the pressure of the water because there's more water on top of you and it's squishing the right. water down, right? Right, right. Hm. Much to think about. I just don't really think about the air too much, you know? It's just like, it stays out of the way mostly. I think the thing is that we're created in this environment and we're born in this environment. And so we're used to it and we don't feel, you know, the air pressure. Now we can tell when it changes. Right. If you have like little synovial spaces in your joints, uh, you know, your inner ears are really sensitive to changing air pressure. Mm -hmm. We went to, was it Denver? Yeah. We went to Denver and I was sick as a dog the whole time I was there. Was, I was just, I was, I got altitude sickness so bad, and then I had one glass of wine, and I was, like, absolutely sloppy drunk, like, falling down drunk. I just needed to sleep it off and get off that mountain. <laughs> well, so, I'm not a teetotaler. You're not. And it wasn't like, uh, we had, we had not gone out and, and drank wine or drank beer before but i remember we went with a friend uh to some kind of some kind of bar grill whatever local place and you got some wine and i don't remember the situation because we got very drunk mm -hmm. and i remember we each had like maybe a glass of wine and there was some wine left and i remember somebody me or you or both of us had this conversation with the waitress where we were trying to sweet talk the waitress into letting us take the rest of the wine home yeah <laughs> and she was like, I'm not really allowed to. And we finally convinced her. And she came back with a bottle of wine that had like a piece of paper wrapped around the top. And it was all masking taped off. Right, right. And this was, this was our great idea we had. That was the solution to the problem. That was back in the day when I used to drink white Zinfandel all the time. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> that was like my default drink. But that shit gets you fucked up a little bit. Yeah, it does. The only time I ever blacked out was when I was drinking white Zinfandel. <laughs> Well, up there in the mountains, the thing is, is that you have less air because the reason we have so much oxygen to breathe down here on the surface at, you know, we're at 600 feet above sea level here in Ohio. Right. The reason we have so much air is because the rest of it's squishing it down on us. Mm -hmm. You go up a mile and you've got surprisingly less air. Right. I'm used to breathing this rich, rich air, like just pure, pure suck all day. Right. It was, they always tell you the story about the uh, the runners in Kenya that will run around the mountains and run around the mountains. And when they come down to sea level, they're like, holy shit. Right. I'm like the opposite of that. You bring me up the mountain and I'm like a sloth. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Just let no. me go to bed. Let me go back down the mountain, please. <laughs> I can't even walk like a block without feeling like I'm going to die. <laughs>
Oh, that sucker's all hills, too. That'll right, get you. Right. That's... Up and down and up and down. And you can't breathe because the air's not good for shit. You had to change your recipes and shit. Who, who can live like that? Everybody's, yeah. There's some shit going on under that airport, too. Right. Yeah, we'll get there one day. <laughs> we'll talk about it one day. Just hold your horses. <laughs> so, when you're talking about air, that raw shit, right? Uh-huh. It has about 78% nitrogen, 20% oxygen, 0.93% argon, 0.04% carbon dioxide, and then a little bit of other stuff. And then there's also water vapor. And obviously, like if you're at sea level, you're going to have more water vapor. But in general, it's 0.4% in the atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah, sounds right. I'll tell you, the argon's the thing you never think about. Right. Do you need that for anything? Oh, no. That's a noble gas. The only thing that happens when you breathe a noble gas is it changes the pitch of your voice. So do you think that if we didn't have any argon, we'd be able to tell because we would get squeakier or something? If you replace the argon in the air, now we're used to breathing this stuff in. Right. If you breathe in helium, which is the lightest noble gas, your voice gets very high. Mm-hmm. If you were to breathe in uh, xenon, which is a heavier noble gas, your voice gets very, very deep. I watched some YouTube video of some dude who had samples of all the noble gases and he huffed them all and he was talking <laughs> in different voices. Yeah. And it looked like the worst idea I'd ever seen. I love that guy. That guy is Cody's lab. <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. And he did all the different voices and it was either Krypton or Xenon. I mean, first of all, getting your hands on this stuff is not easy. This shit's expensive. Right. He huffed it and he's like, oh yeah. <laughs> and he was like, I can't get it out of my lungs. <laughs> you dumb idiot. <laughs> and then it like cuts and he's like, hey guys, I almost blacked out. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it would be denser and it would settle in your lungs. I could see that, right? Into a handstand. <laughs> just casually as you're on the edge, as you're getting tunnel vision, you're just like, okay, it's handstand time. <laughs> yeah, let's get it up, baby. <laughs> I know definitely the second, uh, you know, when I see the walls start closing in and, and I can start, you know, when you start seeing the veins in your eyeballs and you're like, this is it. <laughs> I know uh -oh. my my first thing I do is I'm like handstand time. <laughs> let's get the let's get those legs I'm up. I'm full of Xenon and I can't get it out. He's <laughs> <laughs> too upside down, so it's so heavy. It's just gonna. Hello, life alert. Is this Natalie? Yeah, I got Xenon <laughs> in my lungs. I can't get the Xenon out. <laughs> my stupid idiot husband is making a YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we were talking about air pressure uh, air composition will also change with altitude and the temperature and the atmospheric pressure so like if you go up the mountain it's colder right mm -hmm. and maybe there's less oxygen or more oxygen i don't know well there's less of everything right right that's the problem how far up a mountain could you climb before you just drop dead when is it zero oxygen well there's a point at which it's zero oxygen and it's surprisingly far out from Earth because, like, you know, the gravity is what's keeping the shit around the Earth. Uh -huh. There's a point where you climb a mountain where you need supplemental oxygen. Right. And so I would imagine somewhere in between zero and Mount Everest. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh man, those guys who do Mount Everest are crazy. They're crazy. I mean, there are people that can get to the top without the supplemental oxygen. There's enough oxygen. Go slow, baby. I I think your body would have to have the physiological means to cope with it. Right. So maybe if you were born at high elevation and if you were born in the Himalayas, it's probably easier for you to right. deal with that. Like one of the Sherpa guys. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing is that uh, they credit some guy with being the first to get to the top of Mount Everest and they're like, oh, and his Sherpa. Well, his Sherpa was up there first, you dumb <laughs> shit. Tenzing Norgay was the name of the Sherpa. He was... Uh, <laughs> you think he was the first Sherpa who got up there? He was... A, a Nepali, I think. Yeah, right. Somebody from the Himalayas. I'm just saying, you think he was the first one? The one that led the guy up the mountain? No. Well, they don't put... His dad probably went up the mountain, too. Yeah. I mean, motherfuckers were probably like, I need my sheep, man. My fucking sheep. My yak's up there. My yak's on top of Mount no, Everest, my yak. man. No, my yak. I can't reach it. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> so... Three quarters of the Earth's atmospheric mass is within 36,000 feet of the surface. Okay, makes sense. There is something called the Kármán line at 100 kilometers. Mm-hmm. And they say that is the border of the atmosphere in outer space. Yeah, that's generally when you get up past that point, everybody agrees that you went to outer space. Right, and they will usually experience re-entry at around 120 kilometers. So that's when you've made a successful flight and you haven't blown up the shuttle yet. Yeah. And you start coming back and then you start to like the outside starts catching on fire and stuff, right? Right, right. Hell trip. Yeah, sounds great. I'm going to die here, guys. Thanks. Never going to outer space. Ever, ever. Well, there's nothing out there yet. There's nothing out for me. You know why? We're talking about air today. You know why I don't want to go out to outer space? No air. That is all the sign I need. That's a big one. (laughs) Space movies always called one word. I don't know when they started doing that, but like arrival. Right. Journey. Contact. Contact. (laughs) Alien. And I'll tell you also, whenever they get the shot, when it's like the little spaceship just like silently floating across the screen, there's all the stars in the background. That's like Chekhov's gun for suffocating due to no air. Right, right. It's like Like, the main plot point, yeah. Someone's yeah. going to. No air. That's what'll get you fast. <laughs> get you every time, too. I would say we should figure out a solution to that one, but honestly... I'm not interested. I'm fine. Honestly, there's like two main situations where you're going to run out of air, and one's underwater, and one is in space, and I would just say... If it's a big thing for you where you don't want to die, just stay away from those. Stay away from underwater. Stay away from space. Right. It's worked really well for me so far. <laughs> right. Everything else is gravy as long as you got that air taken care of. Yeah. It's like when you're hanging out, normal air pressure, breathing air, you can worry about the little stuff. Right. And you know what they always say? They always say you can go three days without any water. You can go three weeks without any food, but you can't go without air at all. Three minutes, maybe, if you're lucky. That's a lot. Three minutes, you know, if you're not currently holding your breath, three minutes, you're like, yeah, I could see that. <laughs> sure. I mean, I, I don't have great lung capacity, but I think any time I've ever tried to hold my breath, I've held my breath for what seems to be a superhuman length of time. And then I've been like, how long did I do it? And then like whoever's timing me is like 18 seconds. <laughs> Who 
invented air? The Earth, 3.5 billion years ago. God does a good job on it. I right. use that stuff every day. Right. So the Earth's surface back then was kind of hot, right? And so it cooled down and made a crust. And there were still volcanoes and stuff that made steam and they were releasing ammonia and this and that, right? Yeah. And so that led to a little atmosphere that was basically carbon dioxide and steam and nitrogen, but not very much oxygen. And it also had way more gas. It had a hundred times more gas in the atmosphere than the one we have now. Really? Yeah. So if there's a hundred times more gas, then your box, your cubic meter box, would weigh uh, 126 kilograms, right. which would be 250 pounds. Right. That's insane. It's still air... a quarter as much as if you had a cube man. <laughs> you know, I... <laughs> How much does Cube Man weigh? About thousand I've been, pounds. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep it real with you. Like I've been thinking about the cubic meter ever since you brought it up, and thinking about like, <laughs> I mean, in my mind, because you know, it's a human tendency to take an abstract concept and kind of visualize it if you have that capability. And I'm thinking of it as a lucite cube, <laughs> clear, <laughs> clear acrylic lucite, something like that. And you keep saying the cube man, and what if it was just, what if it was one person completely filling it? I keep thinking of myself being inside of a cubic meter and thinking like that is like, I'm I'm taking up enough of the room where I don't want to take up any more of the room of this cubic meter. Right. I'm thinking it's like a fleshy colored cube and it's full of meat. It maybe has a happy face on it. <laughs> Like he is, we're comparing him with air, right? He weighs a thousand pounds. Even the old timey air was 250 pounds. That's still nothing compared to our buddy. Cube, cube man outweighs even the oldest air. <laughs> old cube man. He helped me mentally picture the air. I appreciate it. So all of the carbon dioxide made the earth nice and warm and then water vapor was condensing and making rain and dissolving carbon dioxide and getting it into the oceans and all this and that, right? And so then there were cyanobacteria. Oh yeah. And they produced oxygen. And they were the ones who were responsible for converting the Earth's atmosphere from no oxygen to all kinds of it. Mostly the one kind. <laughs> Just you know what I'm talking about. Like there's like 5, 10, 20 oxygens. <laughs> all kinds of it. <laughs> because you got oxygen, now we could do oxygenic photosynthesis and convert carbon dioxide into oxygen, which way more oxygen now so we're gonna start having guys who use oxygen for stuff right oh yeah once you start getting the bacteria around you start getting the algae in operation because the algae are green mm -hmm. the algae are gonna turn all that co2 into oxygen for you right right so much oxygen and once you start getting the oxygen pumping then you start getting like more plants and right and plants do carbon dioxide and oxygen and then you got guys who are like oxygen carbon dioxide and it's just like everyone's friends right everybody just goes back and forth everyone respirates each other it's kind of gross when you think about respirating it. respirating back and forth forever as mm -hmm. they used to say <laughs> it's disgusting <laughs> do you know the most important thing about air is its use as a classical element in alchemy and that kind of stuff 
like an ancient Greek right. alchemical philosophy. Right, right. Like so, water, earth, air, like and Pokemon fire. Like types. Normal poison. Right, like the Pokemon types. Air type, water type. I remember... Earth type. The first time I read Plato, my mind was blown. Huh? He was talking about poison, dark, normal. <laughs> Fairy. Fairy <Psychic>. type. <laughs> Yeah the, yeah, the thing that always got me about the Pokemon alchemy is that you got water and ice, I feel like. Uh, right, right. I feel like they could have. Anyway. <laughs> okay, yeah, so in Greek philosophy and Western alchemy, there are four classical elements. They are water, earth, fire, and air. Okay. And Plato said that they were associated with the octahedron and so air is considered to be hot and wet i know this i don't even need to look at the notes air is hot and wet fire is hot and dry oh i see water is cold and wet earth is cold and dry this is exactly like that left and right authoritarian libertarian chart right exactly and so which one is the guy crying but he has the mask on of the happy guy right and so all of the different elements are like together right and they are either good together or bad together and in balance or out of balance right and so when ancient greeks were talking about air they meant they had it split into two, right? There was air, which was like the lower atmosphere. Yeah. And then there was ether, which was like the upper atmosphere above the clouds. Oh, okay. And that was basically the gist of that. If you're talking about alchemical symbology and you want to draw a symbol for air instead of writing it out, you would make a triangle that was with the pointy part up with a line through the middle, like an equator. So an equilateral triangle pointing up with a horizontal line through right. it is the air right. symbol, yeah. Right. And there is a organization, a mystery school, or whatever you want to call it, from the 1800s, called the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, and they had stuff with air and air symbology, and they had an elemental weapon called an air dagger, right? And so that would sure. be yellow. And swords are air if you do tarot cards, right? Yeah. So it was all, like, wrapped up. So the, obviously the air tool would be a sword that was painted yellow because that is the color of air. And then they'll put a bunch of magic words and stuff on it. Who can blame them? It's all dope shit as far as I'm concerned. It all looks great. I think I think I'm an air I'm an air symbol. I mean if you divide people into four groups, you have a twenty five percent chance. Right. Well you're a Libra, so you're an air sign, yeah. Air, swords. I mean, out of all of the different medieval weapons, I think the sword is probably the best. What's the other one? Oh, a cup. A oh, cup. Okay. I, you know what? Up yours. I'm I'm a water sign. I'm I'm a cup. Okay. Oh, what do you? Oh, okay. Well, I've got my sword. Are you gonna fight me with that pentacle? <laughs> oh, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, right. My fucking guy is the queen of swords. Right. That's like 95% of why I believe in this because I got one of the best cards. Right. Like if I got the two of dildos, I'd be like, I don't believe in any of this. <laughs> well, your trump card is justice, which is yeah. also like a sword. Oh, God. Yeah. My trump is the death card, which is badass. See, See it's so badass. it's so sick. Like, <laughs> I know the tarot is like heavily symbolic and I think it's very, I think that it's very interesting and I like thinking about the situations on the cards and I like having a different perspective on my life. Even from a totally materialist viewpoint, it's really interesting. And I also think it's interesting from a spiritual viewpoint. Right. 
Like full disclosure, I think it's really interesting. We have a lot more to share in the coming months about the weirder shit that we've been talking about and thinking about lately, just as a preview for you. But all I'm gonna say is, yes, I get to be the queen of swords and <laughs> my, my sign is swords and my sign is air, which you need. Right. And I always think like there's absolutely nobody that could step to me in the world of tarot. And when I think about it, I think of the guy who's got all the sticks and he keeps dropping the sticks. And I'm like, you are nothing to me. <laughs> right. There's some guy that thinks he's badass because he's juggling two pentacles. Are you kidding me? <laughs> right. This is ridiculous. Right. <laughs> You know what I like to do with my air, aside from do occult stuff with tarot cards with my air? I like to condition it. Do you like air conditioning? Right, right. That's right. Uh, air conditioning is the process of removing heat from an enclosed space to make it nicer and cooler. And you will usually use a mechanical air conditioner to do that. And there are also a bunch of other ways, including passive cooling and ventilative cooling. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's not as good as air conditioning. Right, right. So air conditioners will usually use vapor compression refrigeration. Mm-hmm. And you can either use like a little one in a car, you can get a window unit, or you can have a big one that does the whole building. My favorite kind of air conditioner is the one that goes in your car and breaks every three years. Right, right. I like the kind of air conditioners you can't you can't fix it. You like call someone to fix it and he's like, I'll try and it doesn't work and he's like, uh. <laughs> That is just a mystery of the universe that we've had air Sometimes conditioners. Sometimes it's unfixable, man. They're like, I can't get a part for this. And then it's like, well, then you have to find an alternate solution. <laughs> right. Problem solved, baby. I know that like typical HVAC repair is there's just a guy and he comes over and he looks at your thing. And because he's done it for so long, he turns it on. He listens to the noise and he's like, oh, your fan motor is bad. And he replaces the fan motor. And if he doesn't have the right size fan motor, he's just like, oh, <laughs> So I get it, but like, if it's you and you were fixing your own air conditioner, you would find a way around it. You would get a different mount for your system and you would wire it up and you'd put a different fan motor in right, it. Right, Obviously, yes. Right. So who do you think invented air conditioning? Ancient Egyptians. Did they really? They would have passive air conditioning techniques in their buildings that they would build. Well, you know, if, if you go back even to like Iran, like ancient Iraq, Iran, they would have these uh, conical shaped buildings. Oh yeah, those big refrigerators. Yeah, and that would keep shit cold really well. And I mean, some of those areas were deserts. Right, right. I mean, they would obviously be the best ones to figure that shit out. Guys who live in the hot world. You would think that we would come up with a way to make houses that would do better in hot world. <laughs> right, right. Given that now we're in hot world. <laughs> well, you know, you'd think that as people who live in cool world, we don't even live in cool world. No. I try to avoid this topic because it is a part of like this growing sense of of doom and failure in the universe. But the fact is, when we were kids, we lived in world one, which is outside world. And now we're in like world four, which is fire world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, to me, it's all fine. And as the years go on, we see less and less of world three, ice world. Right, right. I mean... The world's not going to end. 
It's just us that's going to end. The world has been crazy. The world has been hot. The world has been made of all lava. Yeah. The, the world has been covered in mushrooms. It has been covered in dinosaurs. It has been uh, covered in volcanic ash that created an ice planet for years and years and years. And you know what? It always existed. The world is not going to end. Yeah. It's just us. Mm-hmm. It's going to go on without us. And it's going to be like, whatever, guys, peace. The only thing we're doing is changing the world to make it so we can't live on it. That's the only thing that we're doing. <laughs> and it's just, it's comical because of the time scale. Right. See, when you were talking about, oh, you know, the, the earth had all this shit on it and it was just ammonia and bullshit. And then, you know, we had... We had water and there was all this heavy air. You remember the heavy box that still could not beat Cube Man? (laughs) Right. (laughs) We had our box of 100 times heavier air. Right. Like, there still wasn't any oxygen. But we're talking billions and billions of years. Then we get cyanobacteria and those are around for like a billion years. And it's just them until they mutate enough to where they start like picking up magnesium and and having uh, choroplasts and uh, photosynthesizing and all this. And then it's like, quick, 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 1800, 1900, 2000, question mark. Right. (laughs) Like all of the shit we've done has been within the past 200 years easily. Right. Well, you know, we've talked before about the narrowness of what we're able to perceive, but that also is mirrored in the narrowness of the conditions that we're able to sustain ourselves in. Yeah. And so, like, it takes so little to just scooch the conditions on Earth just enough to knock us out of the game. Yeah, and it's like, uh, if there were more space for everybody, it wouldn't be such a terrible thing if it was like, oh no, there's this one part that is like, Torched, we got to move out of that part. Well, there's nowhere for anywhere to go. Right, right. There's nowhere for anyone to go. So, right. uh, anyway, so the modern air conditioner, technological marvel. Love that sucker. Right. I mean, whatever about it, though, right? That was just some guy in 1901, Carrier. He invented it. Yeah, we, we, we talked still, about him already. We still use it, though. We talked about him all He's also. still the air yeah. conditioner guy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's still our air conditioner, I guess. Right, right. Have you heard of Fanda? Yes, I have. That's bad air if I ever heard of it. Right. It's the urban myth. It's not real. I figured. They say that people die as a result of running a fan in a closed room with no open windows. And I don't know why that would make you die of it, but it was a myth that persisted into the mid-2000s mainly in South Korea, but also in Japan a little bit. Okay, okay. And so what was the operative theory? How did they say that the fan killed you? Um, well, they said that the South Korean government made it up as propaganda to curb energy consumption. And so they were like, you can't sleep with the fan on. You can't sleep with the fan on. Because they were like, don't use electricity while you're sleeping. Just like turn it off, right? Okay. But obviously people would jump to conclusions, right? Yeah. That was in the 70s. But they say there were claims of it going all the way back to when they first started having electric fans in Korea, which was in the 20s. Oh, really? Yeah. So... They say that they cause asphyxiation by oxygen displacement and carbon dioxide intoxication. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So if you're in a sealed room, if you are Cube Man Uh 2022, Uh you will exhale 
carbon dioxide and you your body will take the oxygen out of the air and you will increase the carbon dioxide concentration in the room. This is true. I, I, I don't think anybody's home is airtight. No. And having a fan would actually make it so that the air circulated and by the Bernoulli principle, that's going to lower the air pressure in your room. Moving air has a lower pressure generally, right? right? And so you're going to circulate the air more by pulling in air from outside of your room through the cracks in your door or wherever. Mm -hmm. But so it's not, it wouldn't be the fan. It wouldn't be the fan that was doing it, of course. Right. I had heard a theory that the fan was physically chopping up the air and making it unbreathable. Like it was, it was physically breaking apart the oxygen molecules. Yeah. Well, there was... A government-funded public agency called the Korea Consumer Protection Board. And they issued a consumer safety alert in 2006 that said that asphyxiation from electric fans and air conditioners was among South Korea's five most common summer accidents or injuries. Really? And so they said that if you are exposed to fans for too long, it makes you lose water and makes you get hypothermia. Okay. And... If you are directly in contact with air from a fan, it could lead to death because of an increase of carbon dioxide saturation and a decrease in oxygen concentration. And they said it's especially dangerous for old guys and people with respiratory problems. Okay, so if you're older, you have respiratory problems, you are going to die more often from respiratory problems. I think that some people just died coincidentally in a room with a fan. The thing is, if you sleep for eight hours, that's a third your day if you're gonna die on a tuesday you got a one-third chance it's gonna happen while you're asleep right right so obviously like you said fan death not real um it's great to look at stuff happening in cultures that are not your own where you see people falling victim to this sort of lie spread literally by the government Mm -hmm. if it's a consumer protection board that's literally part of the government the government is lying to you right. about public health. So it's very interesting to see that happen because in America, the government never lies to no, you about uh-uh. public health. No, they never do. You would never be misdirected into washing your hands during an airborne pandemic. Not my government. Not the Stars and Stripes, baby. No, God bless America. Land of the brave. <laughs> When they first invented air conditioners, their output settings were measured in ice power. <laughs> like horsepower? Like, like horsepower, yeah. They called it ice power, and it was like, how many blocks of ice would it take to equal the same amount of cooling power for people to enjoy? Wow. I'll, I'll tell you, though, you know, it gets so it gets so crazy hot in the summer here. I've thought before that it might be pleasant to just have a damn block of ice sitting out in your house with a fan on it. Doesn't it seem like that would work well? I mean, it'd probably be fine, yeah. I guess it would. I I like ice. I just think ice is pretty cool. (laughs) I think the reason why I think a big block of ice would be nice, of course, I mean, you'd have a drain on it. It would melt and stuff, right? But it's just, the thing is, when it's hot in the summer and you got your air conditioner on, you're inside and you still can't get cool, Mm -hmm. you know? I feel like just for a minute, you could go and you could just get a break and you could just go put your hands on the ice and feel something really cold and be like, yeah. And you'd get a little reinvigorated, don't you think? I would put my face over it and huff the cold coming off of it. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Suck it off. Is that how you want to put that? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> One of the first businesses to use air conditioning were movie theaters. Oh yeah. That. And so people would go in there and sit in the air conditioning. Uh-huh. And that was that was why people started having summer blockbuster movies. Oh. Because it's like, get out of the sun, get out of the hot, come and see the great movie. Enjoy it in the air conditioning. Yeah, that's pretty genius from a marketing angle. I mean, you want people to come in and sit down for a while. Did you know that a person breathes 35 pounds of air per day? That's a lot. That's so much. And that is especially a lot when you compare it with the one and a half pounds of food we would eat a day and the four and a half pounds of water we drink a day. Well, yeah. And just based on, you know, your metabolism, most of your calories that your body is is using, as in food energy, is metabolized in such a way where the carbon you're taking in from your food that you would otherwise store as fat, because mm-hmm. lipids are made of fat. Right. Your triglycerides, which is your, your fat and your adipose tissue, are long chains of carbon. So if you break those down, that carbon gets exhaled as carbon dioxide. Right. So that's why if you are if you are monitoring your weight and you were paying attention to your metabolism and your you know your calorie inputs and stuff like that, that's where you're actually physically losing, quote unquote losing weight. Right. You're breathing it out. Right. And the fact that you're taking in thirty five pounds of air every day. That's a lot. So that's a lot of oxygen, and that's where you get your oxygen for your carbon dioxide. You also, you breathe all day long. You don't just stay snacking all day. Yeah. Whew, that'd be a day. (laughs) So what did you learn today about air? You know, I never really thought about it coming from bacteria, but really, it's amazing that all this oxygen that we have here was kind of kick-started by the cyanobacteria, and then everybody kind of got hooked on the passing it back and forth, and here we are. Right. Now we're fucked. Not really, though. We're fine. You know why we're fine, Natalie? Because we got a great insurance plan from... Corey Grella. She is also probably an air sign because she seems pretty smart. When it comes to air, she'll get you square. (laughs) That's her insurance policy. Uh, I would contact her for details, but I'm sure she could set you up on a breathing plan. Right. Make sure you always have the air you need in America. Right. (laughs) You know where they have great air? Harlem Township, of course. The A in Harlem Township stands for air. I can't blame them. Every time I've gone there, I've breathed that stuff, and it is great. It really is. delicious. You know, no industrial activity. Right. Not that many cars. No people, no animals. Mostly plants. Mostly plants. That's a key to great quality air, I think. Right. Right. Go there, breathe the clean air. Maybe they got fog there sometimes. Who knows? Oh, you know. Just spitballing here. You know they got fog. Just spitballing. <laughs> you go out in those green fields just as the air starts to cool at the beginning of fall. You can feel the dampness in the air and you get up early in the morning and you can see the sun glisten through the fog in Harlem Township. That's why they sponsored us. They have plenty of beauty to share with all of us. Right, and they just thought that advertising on a podcast was the best way to do it. Thank you, Harlem. So if you haven't already, patreon.com slash garbagebrainuniversity. That gets you into our Discord chat room, and it allows you to hear our 150 episodes you've never heard, including Uh. Malian and Alien Timber. (laughs) 
yeah. <laughs> our mini series about aliens and will enable you to hear our future interesting projects we haven't released yet. Right. Oh, you guys are going to love them. You're going to shit. Well, thanks again for listening. Oh, wait. This episode was suggested by Frypan and Alexis Lorlene. Well, thanks for your suggestions. If you've got your own topic suggestion, hit the Discord, patreon.com slash garbagebrainuniversity. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you soon. I love you. Goodbye.